Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. Listen, it has been so good to be gathering together in person. So if you haven't been there yet, go ahead this week, make a booking, and let's get together in person. Amen. Well, we are approaching the Easter season again. And so on Thursday night, 7 p.m. and Friday morning, 9 a.m., we're going to have an online Lost Supper service and Good Friday service. Sunday morning, 9.30 at church and online, we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Looking forward to seeing you there on Sunday and let's get together on Thursday and Friday online. Well, soon we will be celebrating Easter. We will celebrate the culmination of the earthly ministry of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. Easter marks the end of the public ministry of Jesus on earth. After the resurrection, Jesus spent much of his time privately with his disciples. You do not hear of Jesus teaching in public or performing miracles in public after the resurrection. The next big and last event of Jesus' life on earth was then his ascension into heaven. And then the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And from then until now, Jesus is acting through his body, the church. And that's how he acts on earth today. In today's message, as we start preparing to celebrate Easter, we will go right to the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. We will look at the first miracle that he performed, turning water into wine, according to the Gospel of John. So let us read it. John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that concern have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Just do whatever he says. Do it. Now, there were there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have drunk well, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed him. John, the Gospel of John. John is the only one who tells this story. John's Gospel is different to the other Gospels in that he tells intimate details 
of the life of Jesus that you don't find in the other Gospels. It is in this Gospel of John that you find the conversation that took place in that Last Supper just before he was crucified. It is all recorded in the book of John. And there is great significance in the fact that John took the time to record this seemingly insignificant event, the wedding and the miracle that happened there. When the story starts, Jesus has been baptized, has gone through 40 days of fasting and temptation, and had just started his ministry as a teacher, as a rabbi. He had managed to gather about five followers when the wedding takes place. His mother, Mary, was there. The impression we get is that she was not just a guest, but possibly family, and that she was helping to organize this wedding. And this would explain her knowledge of what was happening with the food and drink and a concern about the lack of wine. You see, weddings back then were not like you and I are used to, a one afternoon event. Back then, it was more like a week-long affair. There was celebration, then the marriage ceremony, and then more celebration for days. This wedding was in Cana, a small village in a land where there was poverty and, and constant hard work to scrape a living from the soil, where they worked hard in their fields from morning until night. For this couple and their families, this was a week to remember for the rest of their lives. And so everything had to go right. Jesus is invited to the wedding. Perhaps it was a, a later invitation and, and he brings along five disciples with him. It was not uncommon in those days for this to happen. And they would just adapt and make extra space for the new guests. Who knows? Maybe these extra unexpected guests are the reason why more wine was used than expected. And so they are enjoying a good party. Everyone is happy. Jesus always enjoyed a good celebration. You often read that he was in this or that one's house at a party or feast. He loved to be where people are, where people gather. He enjoyed breaking bread with those around him. In fact, he was accused of spending too much time eating and drinking with people. Actually, the words that they use in the Bible were much harsher than what I've just said. Anyhow, uh, things are going fine until Mary realizes that they are running out of wine. They are low on wine. The, the rabbis used to say, there is not joy without meat and wine. <laughs> and they were about to run out of wine, run out of joy. Now, you need to understand the implications of this. The wine was an important part of the festivities. Not that people got tipsy, because that was considered a big disgrace. That was a no-no. And anyway, they often mixed the wine two to three with water. But to fail on such a simple thing as the provision of an essential ingredient of the wedding feast, man, that would have been a terrible humiliation for the young couple. It would have been an embarrassment for the families. And if Mary was indeed related to the couple, it would be an embarrassment for her too. Without wine, the party would come to an end. A failed wedding, a failed marriage supper celebration would symbolize the possibility of a failed marriage. Man, this was a big deal for those guys. 
This was a serious matter because you see, they were in Cana as well. That's another, another thing. Cana was a nothing town in the middle of a backwater province in the Roman Empire, far from being anything important. If the Swedes failed, it would be just another sign for this community, another omen. It would indicate once again that the world and, and God had forgotten this place. And because of it, they would continue to not be enough, not to have enough, to shrivel up and die, to be forgotten and ignored. It was a big deal for this community. So understanding the situation that they are in, Mary approaches Jesus. <laughs> I wonder, what did Mary want Jesus to do? They were in a small village, far from the nearest town. It's not like Jesus could gather his disciples, his friends, and run down to the local store to buy more wine. And what was Jesus to do? Does he do nothing and watch the party die out in disappointment and humiliation? Or does he reveal some of his true nature in this party atmosphere? Now, some people think that the Christian life should be somber, you know, without joy and laughter. The Christian life is a serious life. <laughs> and that is so far from the truth. The fact is that here we find Jesus in a festive mood, in a party mood. If Jesus wanted to, he could have done nothing. And we would never had known about the wedding, this event. We would never had heard of Cana for that matter. When you first read the response of Jesus to his mother, it seems that Jesus does not seem interested in getting involved. He's having a good time with his friends and, and here comes mom with a problem, you know. <laughs> or perhaps he wanted the situation to really get serious before acting. When he said, my hour has not yet come, he did not mean that he was not going to act that day. Perhaps it just meant that the time had not yet come. Jesus wanted there to be no doubt about the miracle that was about to happen. He wanted to be sure the wine was truly finished before he acted. And we, we, we don't know what Mary understood by the words that Jesus said. What we do know is she turned to the servants and told them to do whatever Jesus said. <laughs> what did Mary know that caused her to take an action like that? It seems like Jesus being like dismissive of his mom and she says, guys, do what he says. What is causing her to act like this? You see, when Mary came to Jesus, she wasn't just talking to her son. Mary had been in situations like that before. I mean, not in situations where she had run out of wine, but I mean in situations of pending disaster. Mary knew many such situations. She had been surrounded by the signs and omens of death and disaster in a world that hardly notices that you are even there. She had found herself pregnant out of wedlock. She found no room at the inn and she's about to give birth. She escaped to Egypt from murderous soldiers. 
And she knows, she knows, man. She knows the signs and omens of dying and what happens, what they mean. She had also seen the intervention of God in these times. She has been visited by an angel. She gave birth in a stable. She has been found by Magi bearing gifts. She has seen the hand of God over her son. And so, when she sees the signs of dying in the wedding, the signs of disaster in Cana, Mary also sees the promise of the Messiah coming to save. She had confidence in Jesus, confidence that he would know what to do. And so she comes to Jesus. And at the right time, Jesus tells the servants to fill those six jars with water, take a cup, bring it to the master of the feast. This master of the feast, he was most likely a family member too, uh, given his familiarity with the groom. He approaches the groom and compliments him on the good quality of wine. <laughs> the groom had no clue what was going on. The servants, on the other hand, they had. <laughs> they could hardly believe what was going on. And the marriage feast continued, no interruption, all the way to its happy ending. What just happened here? Listen, that party had practically died without the intervention of Jesus, that marriage feast would have died that day. Incomplete, humiliating, and embarrassing. But Jesus, He brought that wedding feast back to life. You see, in a way, resurrection took place. Jesus' first miracle in the Gospel of John is nothing less than resurrection itself. What is the story teaching us? In the story, wine is a symbol of life. Lack of wine symbolizes hopelessness, doom, disaster, death. Jesus said that He came to give life and life in abundance. Those six jars of water together they contained over 500 liters of wine. <laughs> At 20 to 60 gallons per jar, that is between 454 and 680 liters of wine. That is mucho vino. <laughs> what is John pointing to in this passage? You see, when the grace of God arrives, it arrives in abundance. When Mary approached Jesus, it was not because they had a deficit of 500 liters of wine. Maybe one or two jars would have been enough, more than enough. The lesson here is that when the grace of God comes to men, there is not just an adequate amount, but an abundance an overflowing of grace. Hallelujah. How many times in your life as all seemed hopeless. The wine had run out and there is nowhere to run, nowhere to turn to. To many of us, the wedding of Cana may sound like a familiar story, the story of some chapters of our lives. And no, I'm not referring to not being able to buy wine because of the lockdown. Remember, wine symbolizes life, abundant life in Jesus. We see the signs of wine running out all around us. 
It has always been there, but in this pandemic, it has been more evident. Economic worries, insecure jobs and incomes, political chaos, corruption, failing infrastructure, stressed and burned out families, struggling businesses, lack of services in many neighborhoods, as well as endless to-do lists that never seem to check off completely. In which areas of your life are you running out of wine? The miracle at the wedding of Cana brings us hope. Whenever there is dying in our world, no matter how great or how small, Christ is there to bring new life. The sign of God's rich and abundant blessing to a couple, to two families, and to a community in the middle of a forgotten village is a sign to us today that there is hope, that we are not forgotten, that we are not forsaken, that God's promise of new life is also there for us. But just like Mary, we need to take our problems to Jesus. Mary had no idea of what Jesus would do or what was about to happen, but she left her problems with Jesus and got on with her life, <laughs> confident that all would turn out well. Many of you are wasting time and energy wondering what is going to happen to you, your family, the world, this pandemic, this and the other. You see your wine running out and, and all you can think of is pending death. No, Jesus, <laughs> take it to Jesus, focus on Jesus and stay confident. We don't know exactly how He will do, what He will do in our lives, how He will deal with situations in our lives, but we know it will turn out well. Have the confidence that at the right time, Jesus will do the right thing for us. Author John Birch said the following, Wherever Jesus went and whenever He came into lives, it was like turning water into wine. Huh? That's beautiful. And that is the message of this story. That is the message of the gospel. That was the first miracle that Jesus did. And it set the pace for his ministry on earth. Wherever Jesus went, he brought life. He brought healing and restoration. And he continues doing it today. Two more quick points as I end this message. First one, marriage. Some commentators have said that in this passage, Jesus puts his stamp of approval on marriages. That is not surprising, since marriage is God's idea. And Jesus did speak about marriage and teach that it is a good thing. The fact that he intervened in a marriage feast does show that he cares about marriages. It is also a very strong reminder to couples that when the wine begins to run out in your marriage, meaning when pressures and problems come and the joy goes out, the one to go to is Jesus, not the systems of the world. Then the second closing point, the marriage feast. <laughs> not only was this miracle symbolic in his ministry, but the place where he did his first miracle is significant too. You see, the ministry of the gospel begins at a wedding feast. And 
it ends with a wedding feast. The first demonstration of his power points to the culmination of his ministry when the whole church will be gathered for the marriage feast of the Lamb. Revelation 19 verse 9. Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true sayings of God. Listen, as we get ready for Easter, keep this in mind. Jesus came to bring life. He is life and He is resurrection. He wants to bring life to all areas of your life. Trust Him today and be confident that He will do what is right for you. And stay ready to be with Him in that great marriage feast of the Lamb. You and I are invited. Amen? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank You so much. As you started your ministry, you pointed to the end of your ministry and to things which are to come. We look forward, Lord God, to that wonderful feast where you will be present, the marriage of the Lamb. Help us to stay firm, to bring our problems to you, Lord, and trust in you, not to be concerned day by day, but to leave it at your feet for your glory and honor. Amen. And amen. May you be blessed, may you be encouraged. Enjoy a great week and we'll see you next Sunday. Amen.